Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. He goes, have you ever uh, written an endpoint before? I said, I'm actually curious to know what an endpoint is. And he goes, have you written anything in Ruby? I'm like, no, I've never seen the language before. He goes, how about Go language? I'm like, Rapag just came up with Go language. Nobody knows it. And he's like, so you know nothing. I'm like, I know nothing. I just want to be in a place where either I sink or swim. And, and the best way for me to know this is to jump with both feet into the deep end. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. In this episode, we have a conversation with Meher Saba, head of remote presence and engineering at Meta. We discuss the different ways that Meher's navigated obstacles and challenges through pivotal moments of his career, how he's consistently jumped into new unknown areas, reinvented his role, and restarted as an IC to gain credibility at different points in his career. We also cover how to refocus engineering teams after periods of uncertainty and inspire teams to be a part of a turnaround. Let me introduce you to Saba. At Meta, Saba is responsible for creating rich, social, real-time video and audio experiences that connect people while they're physically apart. He launched video on Newsfeed, Facebook Live, Facebook Watch, Messenger Rooms, and Live Audio Rooms. Before Meta, Saba worked at IBM and Microsoft as a developer and software engineering lead, eventually becoming a distinguished engineer at Microsoft. This was such a great episode, especially for learning how to reinvent your role and support your team in the face of uncertainty. Enjoy our conversation with Maher Saba. I'd love to start to talk about how you got to where you are now and what it was like making the, the early decision to leave Microsoft and join Meta those many, many years ago. What was, what was that moment like when you made the shift to jump into Meta? So my life was like, basically, you can think of it as three major parts. The first part where, you know, I was in IC, I was coding night and day. I was super excited uh, about like solving problems and the more problems my management threw at me and I solved them, the more I was satisfied with my life and everything is good. And so I did that actually at IBM for about nine years or so back when IBM was like the place to go to. Uh, that's how old I am, <laughs> back when IBM was hot. And then uh, I start shifting towards the end of those nine years to be more of a, like a tech lead, uh, more into management, helping people while remaining to be technical. And that's when I made the jump to Microsoft. And I spent the first six months at Microsoft uh, as an IC, but then I switched to uh, be a leader. And then I grew through the management rank and had a fancy title and, you know, a big size team and what have you. And at that point, for lots of people, you would think this is it, you know, you, this is great. You made it, you, 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 
you achieved many of your career goals, you've helping lots of people, you're building cool technology, uh, you know, a billion plus people use your code every day or use the output of your team uh, every day. Uh, what else can you, you want to do? And to me, that was, I think not too many people do this, but you start another career. And that's what's the jump for me from Microsoft to Meta to actually start a new career. And so I made that jump about uh, nine years ago or, or a little bit shy of nine years ago. I also started as an IC because I wanted to build some credibility and, and figure out how the actual engineers operate in the trenches. Uh, and then nine months or so afterwards, I moved to, to I switch back to becoming an engineering manager. And here we are uh, today, many years uh, after. But the question that you asked is very interesting for me to say, like, talk about that moment where you, yeah. you know, switch from, you know, one comfortable position to a very uncomfortable position, or taking a step into the abyss, if you would. In general, when most people make such switches, they talk about it as if like that was a easy decision or a hard decision or or here is the reasons you know why i made this switch and and they'll be like very logical and calm and collected uh, about it and it was nothing like this for me it was very emotional i still remember about the three hours me circling the building at microsoft campus walking in the parking lot almost aimlessly wondering, should I stay or should I go? I've had years of experience of helping people manage their career and make such decisions. But when it comes to you, it's always very hard. It's always very different. And, uh, you know, and then I would call my wife and then, you know, have discussion, call my friends at work, have that discussion. Then the recruiters will call me, have a little bit of discussion, like there'll be like five, 10 minute discussions, have the, 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 the my possible new manager selling me more about the exciting things. And then while I'm in a, in a place where I help build, I help create this team, uh, you know, I've been working with, you know, for 15 years, well, 16 years, like a really long time. And finally making that call after three hours of wandering in the parking lot, that's the part that everybody forgets. That's the part that everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I made it. But those three hours were like uh, agonizing. And, and now that I'm bringing them back into memory, like uh, I'm getting a little bit of goosebumps. <laughs> That, that, that's the part, you know, you can make lots of choices and hopefully most of the choices are things like I'm not happy what's happening with what's happening with my life. I'm not satisfied uh, with, with what's happening with my life. Then, yeah, the choice is really easy. It's actually a much simpler situation. The, the harder choices is when you are comfortable at your position. Uh, you hit the top of the S-curve and then, you know, and now you're, you're sliding down. And you're asking yourself, what is the next S-curve in my life? How do I find it? How do I actually be comfortable going down on knowing uh, and hoping that I will go back to the next S-curve? That is uh, what I found to be like super, super challenging. And not too many people actually take that plunge. They're either not happy with what they're doing or, or maybe they're enticed by like more opportunity, more money, more rewards, more other stuff. That, that decision is easy. The, the making the switch where you're, from a, you're in a very comfortable position to possibly a year or longer of an uncomfortable position, hoping that you can get back uh, on track uh, afterwards is a, a very, very unique experience. Uh, and, and, and I haven't seen too many people who've, who've gone through that. One of the details of the story that I think is interesting and very 
it's one of these these elements that people don't talk about enough is you talked about the choice of restarting as an IC to build credibility and then later on switching back to engineering management. And so I think there's a, a big assumption, at least in sort of the, sort of the circles that I, I travail, that you get into the engineering manager track and you're continually sort of like progressing and like increasing your scope and, and the teams that you're working with. This sort of decision to, to get back into being an IC and that comfort sort of working in that way. And so I was wondering if you talk a little bit about that decision and, and what that was like and, and what was present for you then. So... Of course, I talk about it as if like it's all planned and, you know, and I had a, you know, a phase one, a phase two, phase three, and I'm checking lists through those sort of things. No, of course, life happens when you're planning for it. Once I made the decision to make a major switch from one company to another, and here I am in this environment, uh, which is like completely new. Nobody knows me from Adam. You know, I showed up to Facebook and somebody asked me, like, what's my account, my email? Uh, and, I, and I told them, oh, my email is something, something at hotmail.com. Uh, and everybody coming like, oh, my God, somebody uses Hotmail. Can you show us what that like? You know, uh, it, it's like, uh, you know, when people think like, oh, I'm starting from zero. No, no, you're starting from minus two, minus three, something lower uh, than that. So there was the whole part of like being in a new environment. Yes, there's lots of support for it. But then at the same time, they're like, who are you? What are you doing? Why should we trust you? You have experience. But yeah, this is technology. Uh, the, this experience probably is uh, no longer relevant. Uh, we, we, you know, the internet has changed. Life has changed. Uh, and so I wanted to do two things. Uh, I wanted to learn as much as possible. And I wanted to also not just uh, figure out the technology, but like prove to myself that I still got it as an engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I wanted to build my own self-confidence uh, uh, or my own confidence in my own abilities yet one more time, even though everything around me has changed. And I remember talking to my manager and I said, uh, well, I'll be in IC. Do you have a project for me? And he goes, oh, no, here's a bunch of projects you can choose. Come to the meeting where we're talking about the possible projects. And I looked at the bunch of the projects and one of the projects was called Go Rewrite. I'm like, OK, this is cool. It's a rewrite. It's a Go language. Then, you know, the meeting was over and I went to my manager and I said, uh, yeah, I, I want to work on Go rewrite. And he goes, oh, this is rewriting an endpoint from uh, Ruby to Go language. I said, yes, that, that, that's what I want to do. He goes, have you ever uh, written an endpoint before? I said, I'm actually curious to know what an endpoint is. And he goes, have you written anything in Ruby? I'm like, no, I've never seen the language before. He goes, how about Go language? I'm like, Rapak just came up with Go language. Nobody knows it. And he's like, so you know nothing. I'm like, I know nothing. I just want to be in a place where either I sink or swim. And and the best way for me to know this is to jump with both feet into the deep end. And that's actually what I started. I started with that where I went to both a book called Learn Go. <laughs> and people's like, you buying a book? No, no, everything's online. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I b- bought another book uh, about uh, Ruby and Ruby on Rails and all that stuff. And I start looking into the code and I start doing pair programming and all that stuff. And uh, of course, in the first three weeks, I destroyed everything. The build, the release, the code does not work. And none of my tests passed. But after three weeks, it's like riding a bicycle. You get the hang of it and you start writing it and things got better and uh, went back to you know producing 300 uh, lines of code per week uh, and sometimes more, uh, which was great. The best thing uh, happened was like six months into it, we went back and said, okay, the code is 
is ready and we're ready to turn it on. And they're like, what? Are you serious? You're going to actually put your code in production? And we're like, yeah, we, we're going to make it happen. And of course, at that point, we learned that going from prototyping to production is a completely different story. But the point was here is it took six months for me to say, hey, what I'm doing will actually go into impact many, many, many people. This is code that like a very small team wrote from scratch. So I learned how the environment works. And then people stopped looking at me like, who's this new guy? You know, people start coming to me like, hey, can you write this for us? Can you do this for us? They start taking dependency on me and that built my self-confidence much higher. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I am ready now. I have earned again how to be uh, an engineering manager I'm, uh, and then to get back on that track. And I thought that was like a great, great way to prepare me to go help many other engineers uh, uh, in the next phase of my career at Facebook. There's there's some really good lessons in terms of like transitioning into a new role there in terms of like diving in and learning something new fast and figuring out a way to then pass that knowledge along to other people. But also like this sort of sense of humility of like, admitting what you don't know, and then being able to work with other people to discover and uncover some of those different things. And so then as you become a manager, like it's not like you're assuming you know everything, but rather you're going in with curiosity and then distributing that knowledge. Yeah, Uh, I want to add something else. In addition to humility, there was also fear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, this imposter syndrome is so alive and well after 20 years in the industry after doing everything that I thought successful, I would, during that period and, and, and still after it, during other things, you know, my wife will call me and, and, and she goes, how's this going? I'm like, well, they haven't fired me yet, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and then meanwhile, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're doing great. And, but I'm like, I'm not doing great because we often hold ourselves to a higher bar than what your management and your support and your team tell you. And, uh, you know, luckily, if you have somebody close in your life, you get to share, you know, your anxieties and, and where you're at. Those emotions were real, but I used them to get me going some more, to, you know, work harder, to stay longer, to, to drive things at much more, uh, you know, more intensity, uh, which is a word we're using lately. The key here for me was use the curiosity, use the humility, use uh, whatever uh, the fear to help me be more focused and be more productive and get me to a better state so I can feel better about myself, but also more importantly, feel better about the people who are going to end up using the work that I'm, I'm doing. I'm curious about like using using something like fear or other emotions to sort of drive improvement. Was there, was there like a formal process or like something that you thought about that helped you channel those things in a productive way? Yeah. So I always go back to many, many years ago. I was 23 years old. This is back at IBM. I just finished my first project ever in the industry uh, after three months of working on it. And I went to my manager's manager. His name was uh, Jerry Kapatrick. And I said, hey, Jerry, I'm thinking about taking on the next project. How do I know that I picked the right project? And Jerry goes, oh, this is easy. Uh, If you wake up in the morning thinking about the project and you say, good morning, God, you picked the right project. If you said, good God, this morning, you picked the wrong project. So always make sure that you pick the right uh, project. And I don't know if Jerry actually meant it that way or not, but he basically told me I need to be happy about my work every day, which is a tall order. Most people say like, oh, if I'm happy about it, 60%, 70% of the way, you know, we're good. But what kind of Jerry told me as early when I was 23 is like, no, 
you need to be happy about what you do every day. And so that's how I dealt with this. That, that was my formula when, when dealing with all these emotions, that I wake up in the morning and yes, you have you know fear, anxiety, imposter syndrome, all these other emotions, but then you go counterbalance it like, but am I happy? Am I excited about this work? And as a major nerd, uh, you know, did I dream about how we're going to fix this bug or how we're going to implement something? It was code going through my head during the night, you know, when, when working on coding. And if they the answer is yes, then it's like, that's what's going to keep me going. And then that's how I use these, uh, uh, the whole package, if you would, to, to drive me to, uh, you know, getting in the car, uh, drive to work or however you get to work, having that uh, extra spring in my heels and super excited uh, about doing the work and, and, and then going uh, through the day. I, I always tell that to everyone, it's like, are you happy to coming to work every day to work on your next project? And if the answer is no, it's like, well, why don't you find something like that? Or why won't you change something so it is like that? And uh, you'll be surprised how people actually say, yes, that is the right bar. The, the, the bar is not to, you know, be happy 60% of the time. Let's be happy every day uh, as, uh, as much as possible. In my opinion, once you give, give yourself that tall order, uh, stay with it. And then you will figure out how to manage everything else coming your way to say like, but look, this is what matters. This is why I'm here. This is why I woke up in the morning to do. And then that will make everything much, much uh, easier and smoother. We, we've talked a little bit about the, that moment of jumping into the unknown and some of like the, the process or just the experience of what happens afterwards. And I think what's so interesting is, is at a place like Meta, at the, the scale and the breadth of the things that you all touch and impact, I have to imagine there's a lot of different things to, to get involved with and there's a lot of opportunity to figure that out. And I know that in March 2020, there was sort of another inflection point in terms of, of your your role in reinventing yourself and jumping into the unknown. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what was that moment and uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, very good time to, to talk about what happened then. Up to that point, I also kind of achieved what I would say a good, good deal of success uh, at Meta in my career and into the product. Video became a thing on Facebook. When I started video, uh, you know, the video team was very small. People were not taking video to be a serious thing on Facebook. And it became a thing. We also started doing live and live became a thing. Facebook live was, became a thing. And so I, and I start, uh, start having all these good track record, if you would. And then, you know, the team size was larger. The scope was more. We were delivering on all good things and then COVID hit and COVID hit hard. We went from like within a few days to a few weeks to say everybody has to wear a mask to lockdown. Like you don't leave your house unless you need, you know, grocery or unless, you know, very essential stuff. I looked at that moment and I'm like, how will people connect with each other? And they start using whatever you threw uh, at them, even enterprise-based tooling, so they can connect with each other and do a social visits uh, online with each other. And so I had a choice. Do I keep sitting in my own comfortable position and, uh, you know, here I am happy with a large team? And yeah, we'll help out as needed, you know, but on a volunteer basis. Or do I actually quit what I'm doing and jump into this new area, even though it's within Meta, and then start doing the work. And I, I reflected back on that moment, and I think it's now became some kind of a second nature for me to be high risk, high reward kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I immediately looked 
to say like, what are our efforts in here? How are we going to connect people with each other? I want to be part of that. So I quit my job and I switched to another role. And I, I uh, looked at the effort that was happening and I start going, hey, how, how do we connect people with each other? And like, oh, well, we have a messenger. We have the ability for to do audio video call. We're going to introduce this new concept called rooms. And it's all built on something called WebRTC. And I turned around and I started going, okay, let me go learn about WebRTC, how you debug it. Like I went back almost through the same cycle. How do I understand it? Let's go run the dog fooding. You know, if there's a bug, let's go figure out how to debug it. Before I know it, I'm like right in the midst of the war room, the ship room, uh, the daily standups, whatever it needs to do to help people connect with each other. That moment seems much easier now because, you know, the ability to connect people with each other, uh, you know, uh, continued throughout the pandemic and all the numbers were up to the right and people are communicating and connecting with, with each other uh, online. People upgraded the internet. They bought better cameras. They better, better, better microphones uh, and, and everything was uh, looking great. But we did not know any of that when, when I made that decision in March. In, in March, it looked like the world's going to end, you know, <laughs> kind of deal. Uh, it's a pandemic. None of us experienced a pandemic ever in our lives. Uh, and people start talking about the Spanish flu and uh, 100 years ago and what was it like, which is completely turned out to be irrelevant to what we ended up going through. But that was the decision to say, you cannot do things partially, like especially with things with that magnitude. I cannot be, uh, you know, a part-time helper. And so that, again, took like a couple of days. Uh, I, I didn't circle around the block. I circled within my house, <laughs> uh, uh, reflected a lot about what I need to be, uh, what I need to do, and jumped in 100%. Quit my job, switched the job, come to a brand new team, come to a brand new environment, even though within it's just the same company. But approach it with the same way that I need to be in the trenches, I need to learn as much as possible, I need to go rebuild my credibility again, and we need to go deliver something of a great value to all these people who are locked down in, in their homes, and yet they want to maintain social connection. You know, I, I got a lot more satisfaction out of it, because unfortunately, the more bad news you we got about like, you know, the vaccine is not here, something is going to happen, uh, we're still going to lock down. And the more people connected and communicated and talked to each other using the tools and the, and the technology that we provided them. So it was kind of like a bittersweet, but uh, was also yet one of them hard decisions that I had to make during that time. It's so interesting, like what you pointed out, the the pattern sort of at the the in different parts of of your transitions that you've made to then this pattern being here and identifying a problem, then going through the whole credibility rebuilding, learning, and then attacking that sort of significant challenge. What's also so interesting about this is, you know, the whole world has sort of this shared experience of going through this this lockdown moment and trying to figure out how to deal with it. But in a lot of ways, like the the work that you did, like served as a the medium and means in which people could connect, and it was like very much like a frontline solution to a lot of this, Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. 
these groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about some of the like leadership or management mechanics on how you like spun up this sort of new this new area and started to build some of these new new products. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like in terms of identifying the problem, bringing in people within the team to to help solve that? And I guess what were some of the most challenging parts about that moment? Yeah, the number one thing that I was looking at is if you end up with a, you know, a team size of let's say 200 300 people which is like very large size and they don't know you from adam and then you show up and they say i'm the new leader for this team and yeah we've we've seen each other in dog food sessions or, or you've heard, we've we've met in few meetings and so on how do you get the team to be motivated how do you inspire them to do the right work but then how you also keep them uh, focused on uh, on execution because that's what matters the most and for that i did use my experience a lot uh, into setting up the team uh, well together for example i started by defining what we need to work on what we need to deliver but this is not like a three-year you know outlook or, or or here's a roadmap for the next five years it's like here's what we're going to do in the next three months here's what we're going to do next six months and oh my god if we can even dream here's what we're going to do for the next year and then start cutting up the project and the work uh, and, and the ideas into you know a must-have and you know like the, your standard way of, of doing it that way okay but then I, I didn't want to get people into like some sort of a death march or execution or a war room that never ends kind of a, a deal. So I wanted to inject, believe it or not, a little bit of a fun into this project. And so the first thing that we started going like every day, we all need to use our own products. We, you know, this is the whole concept of dog fooding. But then it turned out that it was a, a good way for the team to socialize with each other uh, because of the nature of the product. But then I started adding a show and tell so every you know tuesday we will have show and tell just like you did in uh, you know elementary school where you come to work and you say i was working about this idea or or here's some code that i wrote or here's a product that i put together or here's a study that i did and the, the only rule is you have to cheer you cannot say oh why didn't you do it this way this is like it's not a review it's not a invitation for criticism it's just to help and support and get inspired by the work and so you start figuring out there are people who are like super serious there are people who are balanced there are people who get inspired and you start these apart like all these different tools to what motivate people and get them going and then you use all these tools to build the leadership have different styles have different diversity and then start moving the people into the right places so they are happy with about what they're doing this is again back the concept of happy every day figuring out what gets them motivated in the short term and the long term and try to connect the two and take the time to go work with them once you have a team that's over like 300 400 people i can assure you and everybody who probably have a team of this size you will get on a daily basis, somebody who comes to you and say, I don't like what's happening. 
you know, my feet hurt. Can you massage them? And you massage <laughs> their feet and you support them and you do whatever it takes because you believe in the team and you want to support them. But then that becomes your job. So you cannot ignore, especially in a stressful time, how important it is to build this human connections among the team in order for that to be reflected in the product itself. Because you don't want the product to be built by unhappy people. You end up with building unsuccessful product, in my uh, experience, and then drive that through. So it's, it's a very hard job because most people will look at it and say, like, have you built it on time? Have you hit the milestone? Have you done uh, all these things? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, maybe 60, 70% part of the work. But then the remainder of the time is how's the team gelling with each other? Are they having fun? Are you giving them the outlet to express themselves, uh, creativity, frustration, all the emotion that they go through and time box it. Uh, so it's only 40% of the of your time, maybe 30% of your time uh, while focusing on the execution for the remainder of the time. One quick side question. Do you have a favorite show and tell moment from somebody else sharing something? My favorite moment when when people came and said like, oh, here is code that does this thing, you know, and it's usually like a fun product stuff. And then you'd be like, oh, my God, this is exciting. Good job uh, on, on building this amazing prototype. And we're like, what prototype? This is shipping tomorrow. Even better, you know, like to me is show and tell uh, became an, uh, you know, slight and infomercial <laughs> about uh, what a great job they've been doing and, and ready to go. So it's, it's almost like a book from, you know, when you see an announcement about a product and be like, oh, this is cool. When is it coming to market? And be like, oh, it's available now. The, these moments to me are the most uh, exciting uh, moment. Uh, there are certain product actual features, uh, you know, when we introduce AR effects, you know, the ability to augment your face and augment this, and then you put everybody in the room and they say like, this is the feature available. And then in, within two seconds, everybody's looking like a bee or like a, uh, some animal or around the fireplace or camping or doing something like, yeah, those happens all the time. And, and, and then it built a great relationship between the team. But to me, being focused on execution, I'm like, okay, this is great, wonderful, high five. And they're like, no, 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 this is actual stuff. This is going to go to millions of people or hundreds of millions of people. That is the favorite moment for me because I'm going to do the same thing that I saw in show and tell with my mom the next day. <laughs> I know you, you had mentioned to me that your mom's a big source of feedback on the, the latest products and features that get rolled out. Is that correct? No, that is correct. It turned out like when people talk to each other, uh, there's like two major modes of uh, people talking to to each other online. One would what I would call it like utility calling. They tend to be more audio calling, uh, where basically you know, hey, don't forget to pick up the milk on your uh, on your way home, or the go get this. It's like transactional, quick utility thing, and then uh, it's done. The other part of it is social one. Like, I'm bored, I want to wish you a happy birthday, I want to catch up with you, uh, and so on. So my mom does lots of her social visits on audio calls. And, you know, uh, she would easily spend 40 minutes talking with somebody to catch up about everything in their life, even though they talked with each other last week. So it was very important for her that the audio quality is superb. And I'm like, no, please use Messenger. Like, make sure that you use Messenger and, and use WhatsApp too, and then compare the two and let me know what's happening. Every morning she would call me and say like, hey, I tried to use Messenger today and the audio quality was not good. I'm like, okay, where were you sitting? Oh, I was sitting on this couch. How far away are you from the Wi-Fi? Oh, I was this uh, far. 
okay, go in that spot, call me and let's debug it. And then I will like call her and I'll have the team and they will like trace the call and trace the packets and all that stuff. And they'll be like, oh yeah, that's a hard problem. It's a network problem. I'm like, I don't care. My mom is not happy with us. <laughs> and, uh, and so we will iterate over this for many weeks. Uh, trust me on this one. Like my mom's like, I'm calling you from the kitchen. I'm like, no, 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 go back to the couch, sit in, sit in the same spot, be that far away from uh, that. And she's like, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. And finally, after about like uh, a good three to four months of tracing everything and figuring out that problem, she's like, okay, now it's better. And then she goes, are you guys going to pay me for any of these services that I provided? I'm like, no, mom, you, you, you don't get paid. You just get my thank you and so on. It's like, okay, good, good, good. But to me, the important part was if I can fix my mom's issue, then I'm going to fix the issue with the hundreds of millions of people talking to their own moms and their family and, and loved ones. Because these issues tend to be fundamental, basic, not like some error path, then tend to be on the main path. And if we can fix them for the main path, I will use them. But lots of the teams going like, great, our job is to make uh, Saba and his mom talk well with each other. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly our job. We want to connect me and my mom well, so we can go scale that uh, to everybody across the world. And it worked. It really worked. Lots of our improvement came from me trying to push on a particular use case. And uh, and I use my mom to the max. That's so great. I, I see a lot of my mom and, and your mom as well, just like in terms of wanting to connect with people in, in that same way. I think that's so great. I wanted to transition the, the to a different sort of transition point. And, and this is sort of in the emerging from the pandemic sort of timeframe. And so I was wondering if we could talk about some of the the challenges that you were facing and how you've been able to to address them sort of in this post or post emergent pandemic period. Yeah, let me set up the context here that during the early part of the pandemic, the whole world started operating in, in a completely different manner. We all became very comfortable with being online. We all became uh, very comfortable of uh, using the internet to a greater potential, including commerce and uh, including communication and including work. And we start talking about like, hey, maybe in the future, we're all going to be working uh, from homes or remotely or, uh, you know, the need for human uh, interaction uh, it can be, you know, overcome by uh, using the uh, internet. In fact, we start talking about like, let's optimize everything to match what happens in real life uh, as, as a substitute for uh, being in real life. And nobody kind of believed that. But then quarter after quarter, a graph going up in a certain way, after a graph going up a certain way, we started saying like, oh my God, this is going to last forever. This is going to be the new way. You've heard like the new way of who we work, the new, new way we communicate, the new, like it's a new world. And after two years, all this new stuff in your head becomes the normal. And then the pandemic ended, whether it's actually ended on its own or the whole world collectively decided that we're done with this uh, pandemic thingy, it's out, which happened in November of last year or, or so. Nobody could have predicted that we come out of the pandemic with complete loss of the momentum all the way to the negative side. Instead of us going like, oh, let's go see how much this momentum of this uh, new way of us working and communicating and dealing with each other will last, we hit a recession 
we hit uh, you know a conflict in europe we're in this weird state where there was a labor market shortage but at the same time uh, inflation was going up like crazy and we saw how like uh, the people reporting financial results were like uh, below expectation and then the market started the stock market went up from uh, being great and unbelievable to uh, going down so it was almost like a 180 reversal on, on many of the way that we measured how things have changed and that was the major challenge that we we had to go through so I think as human beings, the first thing we said, oh, that's an anomaly. That's an outlier. We're going to have a V-shaped recovery kind of deal. You know, like you don't believe it. You don't uh, accept it. And then after the Q4 results from many, many companies in our industry, we're like, let's see what happened in the Q1 results. Well, guess what? That start reconfirming that this new normal uh, is being replaced quickly by something completely different that we've never seen it uh, before. People start talking about like, well, let's go back to pre-pandemic conditions. Those pre-pandemic conditions are not there. Uh, it's, it's like we're coming from a new reality to a new, new reality. And so this is what happened here in our challenging time. And if you add a couple more quarters, we are still operating at the bottom part of all the numbers in terms of people start talking about not hiring as much as they used to hire versus labor shortage. People start talking about increasing focus. People start talking about like how we're going to get back to better uh, revenue and better profitability. Uh, economical conditions now considered to be within a bear market kind of deal. So that change was very, very surprising to many people. I'm willing to bet you nobody predicted that we'll come out of the pandemic to a bear market. Most people said, ah, maybe we'll go back to a flat, but not a very negative environment. And so from that, lots of the challenges we had to go deal with is like, how do we adapt to this environment? Uh, how we navigate through the fog, basically. And the fog keeps getting thicker, uh, not, not lighter. And that's where we are today. We, we, we're still navigating through the fog. We're still dealing with it slowly but surely. But that's at least my assessment of the major change that nobody expected coming out of the pandemic. And we're still living through it so far. And I think the confusion in the fog is something that a lot of folks within sort of our community and our circle have been equally wading through. And I think what's, what's so challenging is is because of the breadth and the breadth of impact that Meta has on people's daily life. Like, I think you all definitely garner probably more attention than most other people for for very similar sort of, like addressing similar sort of challenges and uncertainty. And so I think there's one thing, like leadership oftentimes put you in uncomfortable positions. I was curious if we could talk a little bit about like, how do you refocus the team or organization to move forward or, or come together after like periods of, of uncertainty or like dealing with sort of these like challenging environments where you have to make really significant changes? How do you help the team move forward from things like that? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. This is a question that, you know, I'm living it right now on a daily basis. What I found that what's working so far is many people will uh, look at leadership as uh, all of a sudden they're equipped with a magic wand that will wave and then all of a sudden the stock price will go up and the number will go up and the economy will be better and everything will be wonderful. And they start like scrutinizing every decision the leadership makes and rightly so, right? Because they're in an uncomfortable position. They saw certain things and go in a certain way and they got comfortable with that and then all a sudden, you know, it feels like somebody pulled the rug from underneath them. The key thing in here is to go back and remind everybody that we achieved whatever we achieved in the past because we were a team, 
not because of somebody made its decision in a certain way, but because we all collectively work well with each other. And that's how what we need to do to go through this uh, tough, challenging and uncharted waters is we actually have to come together as a team and work together uh, as a team, and then we will figure it out. And then the second part is you emphasize on resiliency and adaptability, and they go together. And so what that really means, you say like, look, times are tough. They're not going to change overnight. Who's in charge? You or the environment? You or these circumstances? Well, it's you. So you is all of us. Let's get together. Let's figure out like we actually we have to collectively make the determination that we're going to go through these tough times together. So without that, it doesn't matter. So, you know, kind of like expect that these times going to be tough and expect that all of us need to work well with each other to go through them. Once you achieve that foundation, then you can build on top of that is like, what can we do now together differently? What got us here is not what's going to carry us forward. Okay. What are the changes? What are the ideas? Time is not going to fix this thing. We're going to do the fix this thing. So waiting is not an option. And let's go work uh, with that new mindset in place and then address it. I think for the most of the part is at least Meta and I'm guessing many other companies, I don't know for sure, are over the hump of uh, like, let's get all the teams to understand that this is a new reality, this is a new challenge, and then we need to put the teams together and us as a team, as a whole company, we will figure it out together. And I think we're, you know, entering the next phase, probably in the next three months to six months, where you're going to see lots of people figuring out how to be more adaptable, how to come up with new ideas, how to uh, come out of uh, the stuff period with, uh, you know, different approaches, uh, different technology, different way of thinking. And hopefully that will be part of the turnaround story rather than waiting for the turnaround. The turnaround never comes by waiting. The turnaround happens when you push for it and you make the turnaround yourself. I think that that last sentiment is really interesting because, you know, I think there can be a sense of powerlessness when you are somebody who's in in an organization and you're trying to figure out a, a new path forward. Like, how do you help motivate or inspire people to want to be a part of a, a turnaround or to help reinvigorate momentum within an organization? I think there is a don't and there is a do. The first don't that I would say is don't lecture people. <laughs> don't tell them, oh, back in my days, uh, things were uphill both ways, all that stuff. Like, that is like very, very disruptive, doesn't help. So leading by example matters a lot going through this period, lecturing them about like this too shall pass. In my uh, experience, in my own opinion, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. What really works is to actually start pushing the team to come up with different things. Hopefully that will lead to certain things to start working and latch onto those working things and then keep pushing them more into that direction or into like the new way of uh, thinking. You have to get back into the trenches. You have to get back into like, you know, brainstorming sessions. You have to take full advantage of the team creativity. But at the same time, you also have to focus them on getting some results. And whenever you start seeing results, you use that as the motivation, as the inspiration to go keep doing more of that. So basically, be with them. You know, you are with them anyways. So it's not like uh, this is a stretch. Be very attuned to what is working now 
and then bring that up to light and, and shine, uh, uh, you know, and put the spotlight on it. So to get everybody else to get out of their current thinking to say like, hey, if this is working over there, I can do something similar or I can get inspired and do uh, something about my own situation rather than waiting for somebody to come and fix it for me. Or maybe the whole company will figure it out and I will be in the, in the rising tide will lift all boats. Uh, no, just tell them that you need to be the one generating the tide. You need to be the one pushing and find those two, three examples on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Use that as the way to motivate the team uh, forward. Really, really actionable, small actions as a leader that the accumulation of those can can lead to a big impact. We talked a lot about unknowns and the the journey through those, including sort of this latest one is like as a leader wading through some of like the unknowns of like the current environment that all of us are operating in. When you think about like the future unknowns, are there any that you're most excited about? I am super, super excited about this whole idea of being presence on the internet and being embodied in the internet, which we call the metaverse. I can tell you, I don't know what the metaverse is going to be in like full details. We, you know, we published a lot about it. We talked a lot about it. But to me, to have that bold step into something that is like completely new and exciting is analogous to me of, you know, people talking about the internet and the possibility of the internet in the 60s and the 70s without even seeing it. Now, of course, hopefully it won't take us that long to achieve that. <laughs> but that is to me is the most exciting unknown is like so many possibilities, so many ways to think about it. But the concept of ever presence, I'll, I'll give you like the simplest form of that. If you're on the online and your friend that you care about or, or your family is uh, uh, there and then you see a green dot next to their face or their, next to their uh, whatever uh, icon that represent them, that tells you so much. That green dot tells you they're alive, they're doing something. This is an invitation to come over and do something and so on. Imagine you take that green dot and make it like a complete product and way of thinking and, and an approach. That is to me is like one of the most exciting things, even though it's super unknown. Will it work? I hope so. That's why I'm here every day. Can I predict the shape of it? No. Every prediction that everybody made about what the shape of the future and the technology end up being a, a funny quote about like, how look how much they didn't know, even though they were like <laughs> an integral part of making it happen. I've got a couple rapid fire questions. Do you have a, a few more minutes to, to dive into those? Of course. Awesome. All right. What are you reading or listening to right now? There's a book called The Swerve. It's about how Renaissance got reborn out of the discovery of an old Greek poem. It's called On the Nature of Things. So it's like a super, super exciting way to see how the whole Renaissance came about from a discovery of an old Asian poem. The last thing you expect to hear from me reading about. But yes, I'm reading that. I'm listening to it now. Well, now I'm like, I have to go read that poem because I, if like that set that off, that's, that's awesome. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? Collaboration on documents and working together uh, at the same time. I thought that was like the, one of the most innovating things that we've had in the past. Uh, we don't shine enough uh, spotlight on it. Things like Quip, Google Doc, Office, the way you can collaborate together on building something together. I think it completely changed the way we build things and, and collaborate with each other. I think you're so right. It's such an underweighted impact there. That's great. What is a trend that you're seeing or following that's really interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? I mean, the, the trend tend to be you always have advancement in hardware 
uh, advancement in uh, connection, advancement of the capabilities of the systems that we have put together as a tech industry. And yet the software engineers, mine included, will always find a way to push those things to the limit and one thing more. I've never seen a cycle that we got out of a GPU or a CPU that we don't ended up using and saying, give me more and more and more. And sometimes hardware is ahead, sometimes software is ahead, but that to me is one of those super exciting trends where software sometimes get ahead and then the hardware catch up to it. And sometimes the hardware uh, is ahead and then we catch up to it. We are seeing lots of that in AR, VR, where I think the software is way ahead of what needs to be done and the hardware is catching up to it. And so I'm super excited to see when the two meet and lots of the dreams get realized via uh, the advancement on both sides. That's such a cool observation to, to point out and, and trend. Thank you. So this next question is sort of been oriented around how some people have been reintroducing different in-person experiences. And so the question has been, what's been one of the most meaningful in-person experiences that you've had with your team, company, or otherwise? Because of the unique position that you happen to be into, very open to amending the question to be the most meaningful metaverse-oriented experience that you've had with your team, company, or otherwise. Uh, but we can go down either route, uh, depending on what, what you think it's interesting. I mean, to me, it is still crazy, mind-baffling to me that when you have uh, somebody who would come tell me like, hey, we had a team meeting in all hands. And what was crazy about that is this is the first time we as the leadership team who conducted the all hand met the team. And also, this is the first time where the team met each other. I'm like, oh my God, you know, we've been hiring so many people remotely and uh, disconnected from each other and they never met each other. And there is that funny moment at the beginning when you start meeting each other and then you look at each other like, oh my God, you're taller than I thought. You're <laughs> different than I thought. Those things kind of like what we, you know, basic human interaction happening and then people being open about it it was super crazy for me to see. And then all this, and then you dive deeply like, well, now that we're here together, let's make this decision faster. Let's execute better. Let's get to the heart of it and so on. But there is this like sense of awkwardness in the beginning. You'd be like, oh my God, I forgot how to look at you in 3D. Uh, you know, <laughs> is, is it okay if I look to see if you, what's the back of your head looks like? Like, this is so funny, but it's like such a human thing for us to make that connection to the next level where the next level is something we were used to for all our lives before uh, the pandemic hit. Such a funny moment. Very relatable. Jerry and I saw each other for the first time in person in about three years at my wedding. Uh, and it was very much the like, oh my gosh, I, f I just forgot the dimensions of space that you take up. So that is so funny, isn't it? All right. Last, last question to send us off with. Is there a quote or mantra that you live by or a quote that's really been resonating with you right now? The quote is, nothing systematically improves unless systematically measured. This is, you know, don't fix things one thing at a time. Build the feedback loops. Build it as a system. You never write the code one time and it will go away. You, all of a sudden, how much code have you ever written? All of a sudden becomes a platform and you've never written it as a platform. You know, all these things coming back to nothing systematically improves unless systematically measures. If you ask yourself that question is like, I need to fix something. Well, don't fix it one time. Build a mechanism so you can continue fixing it for the rest of uh, your life or whoever you hand it to next. That is my quote. I use it all the time. 
Fantastic. Saba, thank you so much for your time and stories and, and sharing the different insights that you've learned from jumping into the unknown at different points in your career. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Patrick. Good to be here. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.